You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. 1 John chapter 5, continuing our study of the book of, of the book of 1 John, chapter by chapter. And verse by verse, we are going to be picking up in verse 6 today and studying through verse 13 of this fifth and final chapter. And if you see there, the chapter is getting smaller and there's nothing after it. That's because, well, we're going to seek to finish the book of 1 John next week. So super excited about that. It's always exciting to finish a book of the Bible and then just continue on studying the Bible because, hey, that's what we need to do as the church. And today, if you're taking notes as we study, the title for this message is The Witness of Jesus. The Witness of of Jesus. As we see John, the apostle of Jesus Christ, again, he's writing to the global and the growing church there close to the turn of the first century, all with the theme of walking in the light, showing what life with Jesus looks like. And as John here is finishing out his letter to the church, we discussed last week how he wants to make sure to clearly establish some truths as he ends. Though they they may be subjects that he has already covered, he goes through and revisits them so as to be clear on their importance, much like last week. Last week, as we started this chapter, we saw there John writing once again on the marks of a spiritual life, that the believer in Jesus Christ will be marked by several things. One of them, of course, is the love of God, also by obedience to the word, the commandments of God, and as well by a life that has an abiding, active faith in the Lord, a life in Jesus Christ, walking actively in this world, John seeks to say will display love, obedience, and faith lived out so that the world can see, so that the world can see Jesus through the life of the believer, through the life of the church, as the church lives and walks on mission. And as John continues in this mindset today, today the subject matter of the text is Jesus. It's Jesus, though already having established Jesus as the Savior. Remember back in the very first study of the book of 1 John, he called him there the word of life. And all through the text of this book, he has shown the importance of Jesus' finished work, that being applied to our lives, that lived out through our lives. Well, today, John wants to revisit Jesus yet again, how appropriate, and show Jesus and establish the truth of Jesus to the reader. Because John knew, and we need to know, that if the church then, and us as the church now, got Jesus wrong, has a wrong mindset, a wrong idea, perspective of Jesus, well then, our entire life will be off base. Because Jesus matters, and having a truth about Jesus, having the truth about Jesus from the Word of God, well, that is pivotal to our life lived with the Lord in this world. To miss Jesus is to miss the whole point of the Christian life. Quite honestly, to miss the whole point of life as it is. We have to know who Jesus is, and that is so true for us today. And so John, what he does today is he's going to write, and he's going to call upon some witnesses, if you will, to show Jesus as true, and to show these witnesses as pointing to Jesus as truly the Savior of the world, the Savior who came and died and resurrected from the dead so that we could have a relationship with the Lord here and now and in eternity. And we're going to see these witnesses here today and then see that John, as he presents the witnesses, that he also calls for a response as well. So let's get into it today. We're going to read a few verses. We're going to pray as we always do to get into it, and then we will continue on. So 1 John chapter 5, verse 6, John says, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, and not only by water, but by water 
and blood, and it is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree as one. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for this day. Lord, so much for another day that you have made that we can rejoice and be glad in, that God, we can come into your presence, that we can gather together, Lord, freely in you. And I just thank you so much for that. And I thank you, Lord, that we have the opportunity today to worship you with our voices and our minds, Lord, just directing our hearts to you in song. And also, too, Lord, to direct our hearts and mind and continue to worship you as we study your word, your word, Lord, that is the truth for our lives, the truth that this world needs. And God, I pray that today as we study it, that we would realize that's exactly, Lord, what we are doing. We are seeking the truth, and you are so faithful to show us the truth. And Lord, I pray that today as we study your word, this important word to us, that God, we would be ready to hear from you and that we, Lord, would expect for you to be our teacher. And we can expect that because, Lord, your word shows us that you desire for us to know your word. So, Lord, help us today. Help us today, Lord, to see the witness of Jesus Christ within the word and help us, Lord, today to respond appropriately to that and let that live out in our, be lived out in our lives. And God, again, we ask for your help expectantly because you are faithful. We see your faithfulness and we ask it all in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, again, when it comes to establishing the truth of who Jesus is to his readers, John calls on both witnesses on earth and in heaven so as to show the truth of Jesus. And he starts off, we see in verse 6, with the witnesses on earth, three witnesses, in fact, that we will look at together. And the first two witnesses that he calls to the stand, if you will, are there in verse 6. As John begins, he speaks and says, this is he who came by water and blood. Jesus Christ, and not only by water, but by water and blood. And I've got to tell you that it's always fun as a pastor in my office, opening up the Bible and reading the text that I get to study and teach that week. And then after I study and teach and study and pray for a little while and jot some notes down, I go to a commentary or two. And it's always encouraging to hear the commentaries just say all in unison that this is one of the most hotly debated topics in all of the Bible. I'm like, excellent. This is going to be a fun week to teach. And really the debate, what it comes down to and comes from the different interpretations of what the reference to the water and the blood, what do they indicate, what do they mean? Which understand, just off the top, it's not a divisive issue here today. I hope you realize that. There are within the Bible some non-negotiables. In fact, one of them we're going to talk about in a moment is a non-negotiable. That is the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity. However, this right here, this idea of the water and the blood and how the Bible, what, the, what, what you draw interpretation from the Bible as, it, as its meaning, that's not a divisive issue for me. If it is for you, that's between you and the Lord and you need to repent. But it's not for me and it shouldn't be for you. It is that which we see and there are several, several uh, perspectives. And so we're going to go through those and I will let you know what mine is. You can agree again if you want. If not, that is fine. But the schools of thought on what the water and the blood are, what are they? Well, the first one is that of baptism and communion. Baptism and communion. And both of these are very important. In fact, we are remembering the work, the finished work of Jesus Christ today in communion, in partaking of communion. These are important things to us as believers. However, I don't believe that baptism, which again is an outward showing of an inward work of Jesus Christ in our lives to the public through immersion in water. I don't believe that these two things are what John is referring to. 
And the reason for that is, is John seems to be writing something that happened in past tense. Again, he says by, that Jesus came by water and by blood, was presented, you could say, by water and by blood. And he's not referring to something that is ongoing. Communion, baptism, those are things that we as the church practice, again, to remember the work of Jesus Christ and to show the inner working of Jesus Christ in the life of a believer. And so baptism and communion, though there are those that adhere to that, I don't believe that's what it is. The second one is water and blood that came from Jesus' side. This, of course, refers to Jesus' crucifixion as recorded by John, the Apostle John, who wrote this book in the Gospel of John, chapter 19 where there at the crucifixion, it was, of course, the day before the high Sabbath of the Passover. And the religious leaders and the Jews, they didn't want the condemned to continue to hang on the cross. They didn't want those who were dying or who were already died still there on the crosses that were, that, that, that were present. And so to, to make the condemned die faster, the Romans had a practice of going and breaking the legs of those that were hanging on the cross so as to end their life quicker. However, when they came to Jesus after breaking the two legs of the thieves on either side, they noticed he was already dead. And so to make sure that he was dead, they didn't go about breaking his legs, but rather one of the soldiers took a spear and, of course, thrust him through the side. And we know from John 19.34 that it says there, immediately blood and water flowed out. And this, of course, brings some to believe that this is what John is talking about. And though this is a significant thing, a significant moment in the Gospels, it is in fact a fulfillment of prophecy. It was told of in the Old Testament that none of Jesus' bones would be broken. And so it's significant. It's fulfilling of prophecy. However, it is lacking in being a proven witness of all that the Word of God shows us that Jesus did and what he came to do. Though, of course, this is at his death, this sacrificial death on the cross, it it doesn't really fulfill all that Jesus did in identifying him with sinners. And so to say that this is what it is, is is lacking in its entirety. The third one is Jesus' birth. Some believe that this points to Jesus' being born as a human baby because what is involved in human birth, of course, you parents know, is water breaking and then blood, of course, is present. However, again, this doesn't serve as a witness to all of who Jesus is and what he did, though it does speak to the truth of Jesus's humanity, of how he was as he came into this world, both fully God and fully man at the same time and lived that way and lived in that way from birth all the way through his life. Again, though it is important, it doesn't fully satisfy the weight of his witness. And so those are the first three. The fourth one, and again, this is the final camp and the one that I personally sit in. It has to deal with Jesus' baptism and then his death on the cross. You see, from my reading and understanding of Scripture and the significance behind these two events, this best encapsulates the full witness of who Jesus is and what he came to do. Because what it does is it speaks to his identifying with sinners, Both his baptism and his death, they speak to his identifying with sinful humanity who he came to save. You see, when Jesus was baptized, what we have recorded for us in the Gospels, he was baptized not in repentance for his own sin, because of course he had none. He had no sin, but he was was baptized because he wanted to, again, completely identify with humanity. 
As he came there to the Jordan to John the Baptist and said, hey, I want to be baptized. It wasn't again because he had sin in his life. In fact, John in that moment was like, what are you talking about? I should baptize you. You don't need to be here. What are you doing? Dunk me. But rather Jesus said, no, 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 this needs to happen. And it happened because Jesus, again, it was his way of saying to humanity, I'm one of you. I'm here to identify with you and to live this life so that I can pay the price for your sin, and which is exactly what he did on the cross, which again is what I believe the blood attests to. When Jesus died on the cross, he did not die because again, he had sin and needed to be condemned. He lived a perfect life. The death he died on the cross was a substitutionary death for you and for me and all of the world so that we could be saved. But again, Jesus died. He laid down his life to identify with sinful humanity so as to be able to save us from our sin. When he died, or you could say again, came by blood, that work of salvation came forward by his blood being shed. It was so that he could stand in our place as a guilty sinner and take the punishment for sin, our sin, the punishment that we deserved. And so the water of Jesus' baptism and the blood of his death, both again are witnesses and the identifying and the sacrificing for sinful humanity that we could have life, again, eternally with the Lord. And that is what I believe, again, that John is speaking of here, what the word points to. If you disagree, that is fine. But John here speaks of these first two witnesses on the earth, the water and the blood. But then he goes on to speak of another witness that is on the earth or in the earth, and that is the spirits. It says in the last part of verse six, and it is the spirit who bears witness because the spirits is truth. And as John has already referenced, so so too does he do again here. It is the Holy Spirit that he is referring to, the third member of the Trinity. And he, the Holy Spirit, as you look at the life and the testimony of Jesus, as you read and you watch Jesus and as you read the New Testament, it is, of course, the Holy Spirit who identifies Jesus as the Savior, who identifies as, identifies as a witness for Jesus. Just think of a, of a few events in Jesus's life. Again, we've already referenced his baptism. So let's look at that. In Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, all these verses that we're about to reference will be on the screen. It says there that when he had been baptized, that Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And it says, and suddenly a voice from heaven came saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. See, right here at the beginning of Jesus's ministry, which this baptism here, it marks his ministry beginning. Right here at the beginning of his ministry, we have him coming and being baptized there by John the Baptist. And immediately as he comes up out of the water, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit descended from heaven in the form of a dove and again, alighted upon him. And at the same time, again, looking forward in our study, but making a note of it now, the God the Father spoke out as well. So we have here the Trinity making witness of who Jesus is, of showing that he, he is the one who the Bible claims him to be. The Holy Spirit coming upon Jesus as he came up out of the water gave witness to who Jesus was. The Spirit testified of the work of Jesus. But it is not just his baptism, but also in the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we see the Holy Spirit witnessing to Jesus's work. And this is what Paul writes about as he's writing there in Romans chapter 8 verses 10 through 11. Where Paul there writing to the believers in Rome, speaking of new life in Jesus, he says there, and if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, 
But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him, this is where it gets into this, but if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, well, then He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. You see, again, in Romans chapter 8, what Paul is speaking about is this new life in Christ and the new life being empowered by the Holy Spirit. And here as he speaks, he's speaking to the believer about the Holy Spirit dwelling in every believer, raising the believer from spiritual death to new life in the same way that he would indicate and the scriptures indicate, he likens it to the work that the Spirit did in the resurrection of Jesus. That together there within the death, burial, and resurrection, the finished salvific work of Jesus Christ, we have, we have this, the Holy Spirit there present, identifying to Jesus' work and moving it forwards. So we see it in his baptism. We see it there, of course, in his resurrection. But the witness of the Spirit, understand, isn't just past tense. We don't just look back into the things of of Scripture and say, oh man, the Holy Spirit was present in Jesus's life. No, the Holy Spirit continues to witness to who Jesus is still today. In fact, Jesus said that this would be the case. In John chapter 16, there in the upper room as Jesus is preparing in a few hours from there to go to the cross, he's speaking to his disciples. And as he speaks to them, he's telling them that he is about to go away. And they're, of course, downtrodden. They are sad. They, they, they want to spend more time with Jesus. However, he tells them that it's better that he goes away. And then he explains why. He explains why by telling them that the Lord, his Father, will send the Holy Spirit, the Helper, as he goes away and the Holy Spirit will continue to witness to him. In John 16, verses 12 through 15, these will be on the screen. We see Jesus saying, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. And that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what has been happening since Jesus ascended to the Father, where the Holy Spirit has come. He's always been present, but he has come into the world. And understand that the Holy Spirit is involved in salvation in the pre-salvation times of your life, when you and I are living in sin, we are separated from God, which is where we are naturally. As we are born into this world, we're born sinners separated from God. However, what we have is the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit in this world who convicts us of sin, who is driving us, talking to us, moving us, convicting us of the sin that is in our life and letting us know, hey, we need a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus Christ. And upon our belief in the finished work of Jesus and asking to be saved and God being faithful to save us, well, at that point in time, the Holy Spirit, who is still witnessing of Jesus, we've already discussed this, takes up residence within the believer. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit happens there at salvation, but it doesn't stop there because the Holy Spirit then drives our life in sanctification, continuing, as Jesus says here, to lead us in the truth, declare who he is to our lives and how we should live in light of that. You see, the Holy Spirit witnesses still of Jesus Christ, the work that he did, the work that he will do and is wanting to do in and through us. Paul writes about this very specific thing in 1 Corinthians chapter two. 
And in verses 10 through 12, he says, But God has revealed them to us through his spirits. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man except the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except, he says, the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of who is from God, that we might know the things that we have been freely given to us by God. You see, the Holy Spirit didn't just witness to Jesus as Jesus was on the earth. He wasn't just a witness there in raising Jesus from the dead. No, no, no. He continues to witness to Jesus. He is a witness that is present, so present here in the earth today, right alongside the water and the blood. They are all witnesses to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. They together are working in this world to testify of who Jesus really is, of all that he has done, of all, again, that he wants to do as we see throughout the word of God and how we are to live in light of that. These three witnesses John here speaks of, but if you'll allow me while we're on the topic, I'd like to interject one more witness, one more that John doesn't reference here, but yet is present and is so present. In fact, it's present in this room right now. That is the word of God, the Bible, the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. We need to understand all of the word of God. It points to who Jesus is. Every bit of it, every bit of God's word points to Jesus. So if you want to know Jesus, if you want to know who Jesus is, what he came to do, and how to know him and to live in a relationship with him, man, turn to the Bible, friends. Turn to the word of God and understand that that is a witness. All 66 books of the Bible, they point to Jesus being the Savior. They point to Jesus being the Lord who desires to be and needs to be the Lord of our lives as well. So the water, the blood, the spirits, and if you'll allow me, the word of God, they witness. These are witnesses on the earth all pointing to Jesus, all pointing to the truth of who Jesus is, and we should take that very seriously. And John, as he lays the witnesses out that are on the earth, he then transitions because he wants to take it off of the earth and into heaven. And as he lists out these three witnesses that are on the earth, he turns his attention now in verses seven and eight, we're gonna revisit them, to a witness that is in heaven. Reread those verses with me, if you will. Where it says in verse 7, For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirits. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on the earth, the Spirits, the water, and the blood. And these three, they agree as one. Now what we have in this section of Scripture is an attributing to the person and work of Jesus Christ being witnessed to by the Trinity. The Trinity, what is made up of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The verse again says there in verse 7, For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word. That word, Word, is the word Logos, what is used in John's Gospel there in John 1, and the Holy Spirit, making this verse one of the most direct references to the Trinity, or what is known as the triune nature of God in the whole Bible. And we must understand, friends, and again, I mentioned a second ago, as we look at the water and the blood, that that's not a divisive issue for me. It's not. This, however, the doctrine of the Trinity, understand that this is one of those things within the Bible that is non-negotiable. And the Trinity is something that is under attack consistently, mainly because it's never expressly said that, hey, the Trinity is a thing. You will never find within the word of God, Trinity, as it refers to the Trinity, However, that does not mean that it is untrue. 
In fact, there are several things within the Bible that we believe are true that are not written in the Bible. I mean, we believe the Bible, but you won't find the word Bible in the Bible, yet we believe it's true. The same has to deal with the rapture of the church. You won't find the word rapture expressly said within the word of God. But understand, the Trinity is absolutely within the word of God, all throughout it. In fact, it is referenced in the very first verse of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, this verse that if you believe and understand, you will have no problem, should have no problem with the rest of the Bible. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the word for God there, it's the ancient Hebrew word Elohim, which again is an ancient word in Hebrew that is used for God throughout the Old Testament. And this word is a special word, and grammatically, it is a plural word used as if it were singular, which does not produce, as some critique and some like to claim, a plurality of gods there in the creation accounts, but rather it produces the singular God of the Bible existing in three parts, the God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. At the very beginning of the Bible, we see the Trinity is present. God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, present and true. Again, throughout all of Scripture. And John here, as he writes, he writes that the Trinity witnesses to the person and work of Jesus Christ. And though we've already referenced it, a great example to look to is, again, the baptism of Jesus Christ. And we read Matthew's account a second ago. We're going to read Mark's now just to prove another point that, hey, the Bible, it witnesses to Jesus Christ. Let's look there at Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, where it says that it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. And it says, then a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You see, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they all agree as one pertaining to the work that Jesus came to carry out. And the Trinity, as we read within the word of God, continues to attribute and continues to witness to Jesus being who we believe Jesus to be. And again, I will say that the Trinity, unlike the, the water and the blood, the Trinity is, again, a non-negotiable. In the same way that as we read the Bible and need to have a right mindset of who Jesus is, well, this is a part of it. We need to believe that Jesus is that second member of the Trinity. He is God the Son. He is the Lord. He is in every way the Lord who was present at the beginning, who worked and created and all things, Colossians says, exist through him, for him and by him. We need to understand that Jesus, he is a part of the Trinity. And the Trinity is a non-negotiable, friends. If you have a problem with that, then you have a problem. You know, if you want to believe that the water and the blood are something different, we can still, you know, fellowship together. You want to believe in a different uh, idea than the pre-tribulation rapture, perhaps your mid-trib or post-trib, that's fine. I'll tell you, you're wrong on the way up. We will all figure it out one day. But understand, if you have an issue with the Trinity, you have an issue. We have an issue. Because it's the Trinity that is attacked by various cults throughout this world. You know, one that is prominent is the Jehovah's Witness, who, of course, down the Trinity as false as something that is not true and not something to believe in. That is heresy, friends. We have to understand the Trinity is true, and the Trinity, it witnesses to Jesus Christ. And we have to get Jesus right. Because to get Jesus wrong is to get it all wrong. And that's what John goes to next. Because as he brings the witnesses forward, well, of course, what the witnesses do is they present the case, if you will, of Jesus. 
But what is next is a response that is needed. And John, he outlines the response to the witness, the appropriate response to the witness, as well as outlines for us what choosing not to believe it looks like. Pick up with me there in verse 9. As he says, if we receive the witness of men, then the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his Son. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. And he who does not believe God has made him, speaking of God there, a liar. Because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. It is so true, so clear there for us. In verse 13, he says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. See, again, having shared the witness that God has provided for Jesus, John wants now to make sure that that no one has any room to argue about their legitimacy. And the way he does this is he introduces this response section, if you will, by, by saying that, hey, if anyone receives the testimony of man or trusts in the witness of man, and everyone who, who, who trusts in the testimony of man should not have any problem, you know, accepting the testimony of God. What he's attributing there to is the idea that as humans, we listen to one another. You know, we listen to one another's suggestions and ideas. We take what someone will say to us as truth and we'll walk and pattern our lives according to that. And so if we'll do that here on earth with one another, then doing that with the Lord, again, that should be no problem. That should be a no-brainer. And John here, he points again to God, God the Father testifying of Jesus. He also points to accepting this witness, saying, he who believes in the Son of God has the witness within himself, speaking again of the Holy Spirit indwelling within the believer. But then John, what he does, what he does here is he says and brings weight to the whole equation. He speaks to rejecting that witness. Notice what he says again in the end of verse 10. As he says, he who does not believe God has made him, that's speaking of the Lord there, has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his son. And in saying this, John is exposing the gravity of unbelief. The gravity of unbelief is he says plainly that when we refuse to believe Jesus, we reject the testimony that God has given of his son. Therefore, we call God a liar with our unbelief. And understand that when we say it in those words, when we see what the word of God says, it it brings more weight to it than what we normally do in church, right? Like we don't talk this way. John has said several things throughout this book in several ways that we as the church, that we don't talk like anymore. But perhaps we should. Perhaps we should. You see, we must understand that our unbelief in the witness of Jesus, it is a weighty thing. How we as people, as we, how we handle Jesus and our belief on what the Bible says about him and how we are to accept him, that really matters. And this verse here, it flies in the face of our culture. It flies in the face of the world that seeks to say, you do you, I'll do me, and we'll just, you know, move on throughout the world together. It really flies in the whole coexist type of culture that has infiltrated the church. Because understand that our belief in Jesus Christ or our unbelief in Jesus Christ, it doesn't just make us a part of a certain demographic that you find on a Barna, you know, survey. But it affects the way that we view the Lord's. And it affects the way that our hearts and lives will be lived according to God. Because what we're doing is we choose to say no to Jesus 
is we're looking to God the Father and seeking to say, what you said isn't true. What you have to say is not true. You're a liar, is what John says. He just cuts through all of it. And again, we as a church, we don't talk that way. We as the church don't think that way about our own salvation. Because to accept the witness of Jesus is to accept all of it. To accept the witness of Jesus, to accept all of what the Bible has to say about him. He's not just Savior, he's Lord. He's not just Savior, he's not just Jesus, American Jesus that we like to paint in our lives. You know, the one that came in a baby. Sometimes this time of year, we leave him in the manger. He got out of that manger. He learned to walk. He learned to walk and to talk and to live a life perfectly so as to be our Savior and to be our Lord. You know, sometimes we like to picture Jesus as, you know, Republican or blonde hair, blue eyes, carrying a child around and just looking how we want him to look. It's not that at all. He's the Lord. He is the Lord and we must accept that witness, all of the witness and allow him to be the Lord of our life. Otherwise, we are calling God a liar who is witness to the truth of who his son is. We don't talk that way in the church. We don't talk that way when it has to do with our own salvation. We don't talk that way when it has to do with evangelism or with prayer for those that we know that are lost. You know, if we were to think that, hey, our friends and our family members, our coworkers, those that we walk and do life with, as they reject the Lord, they're rejecting and calling God a liar, man, that would change the way. It should change the way that we pray. It should change the way that we think about how we share the gospel. Or it's not just a salvation from death and hell, which is amazing, but it's aligning ourselves with the mindset and the heart of God. It's aligning ourselves with what God is doing, what he wants to do in and through our lives. We don't talk this way, but we should. We absolutely should because God's word, it says it. It says it clearly that God witnesses of his son and to reject that is to reject the Lord's. It's a weighty thing. And John makes sure to bring weight to it, but he also, on the flip side, he also calls us to take very seriously the blessing of accepting of that witness. Because you see, instead of calling God a liar and rejecting the witness of Jesus Christ, which ends in our lives being separated from God here and in eternity, should you die in that state, as you accept the witness of Jesus Christ shown to us on earth, shown to us in heaven time and time again, if we accept that witness, what does the Bible say? It's so amazing. It says plainly, God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. See, to accept the witness to take on the witness of Jesus Christ, all that he came to do, the blessed work that he came to accomplish. And that brings blessing onto our lives. Here and now, as we get to live for the Lord, knowing that he knows us, knowing that he loves us, knowing that he's with us, and then onto to eternity, onto heaven, an amazing blessing that we have. John here says, God has given us eternal life. And John says in the inverse of our text today, he says, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. And this is that walking in the light type of language. This, comes, this brings us to the theme of this book really in, in so many ways because what John is saying here is, hey, you who believe, you Christians who have accepted the witness of Jesus Christ, I'm writing this down so that you know what you have so that you know that you have eternal life. You have eternal life and you can have assurance of this, that on earth and in heaven, there are witnesses to what you believe. So be encouraged. 
be encouraged. You see, to those that he was writing to in, there at the turn of the first century, there was false teaching coming their way, seeking to take down the deity of Jesus Christ, seeking to lead them astray and away from all that God had for them. And the same is true here because Satan, our enemy, still wants the same thing, for us not to believe, for us not to follow the Lord. And the word of God still says the same. Hey, be encouraged. You have life in the Lord's. Walk forward with him, be bold in him that you may continue to believe in the name of the son of God. John is writing this so the church will continue on as the church is meant to. John is writing this so that the church will know what they have, what we have and walk forward accordingly. And the word of God and the God who wrote the word to us, because this is God's word, we have to remember that wants to do the same thing that John was doing. The Bible, this section of Scripture, wants, has the same, the same application today. Understand that today, friends, we have the clear witness of Jesus Christ. It, it is still in play. Through the water and the blood, the Spirit, through the Word of God, through the Trinity, again, who witnessed and witnesses still to the person and work of Jesus Christ, to where we can be firm in our decision. We can be firm in our belief of who Jesus is and walk forward boldly in this world knowing that he goes with us. But understand today that as we read this and as all of these things are laid out before us, we have to make a decision. We have to make a decision. You understand John is clear, all of the Bible is clear that we have to accept and believe in that witness. All of us here, no matter what state and way you came in here today, as we sit under God's words, and the teaching of God's word, myself included, even as I teach, we have a decision that is before us. And we have a decision every single day that we live in this world. As we wake up and as we walk forward, any day that God gives us, we have a decision again to accept the witness or to reject it. Every single day, every single day. Because again, the accepting of the witness of Jesus Christ, the taking on of the finished work of Jesus, yes, it is salvific and that it gets us to heaven. But it is also too something that is sanctifying because if I'm gonna look at Jesus and make a decision to accept all that the Bible says about him in my life, that's gonna change the way I live. And so I have a choice to make every single day. You have a choice every single day on how you are going to accept or reject the witness of Jesus Christ. And today perhaps you've made, I mean, you've made the decision at least in some part, you're sitting here right now, praise the Lord. Most of you are listening, praise the Lord. You are here and you're studying the word of God, seeking to grow and take a hold of the witness that the Bible shows us is Jesus Christ. But that is a decision that we have to continually make and continually consciously make as we walk in this life and in this, in this world that we live in. Not just here and now, but when we go out of here and then tomorrow, should God bring tomorrow? And if you find yourself, yes, trusting in that witness, accepting it, living in light of it, praise the Lord. Pray that the Lord keeps you there. Pray that the Lord would give you an endurance and a burdening to stay in his word, to continue to pray and commune with him and walk with him. And if you right now are thinking to yourself, I don't do any of those things, well, then you have a decision to make. Understand the decision for you is clear. And understand that should that be the case, if you're thinking to yourself, ah, I'm not reading, I'm not praying, I'm not deciding to follow the Lord, then what you're doing is you're rejecting Jesus Christ. If not in whole, at least in parts. And understand that you don't have to reject him. You don't need to fit into, yes, a demographic here on earth, but more importantly, that camp that says God is a liar. No, what you can do, what you need to do, what we need to do every single day is say, Jesus, 
I believe you. I believe what the word of God has to say about you. And it starts with salvation. And perhaps today you're here today and you're not walking in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Perhaps today you have never taken upon yourself that free gift of salvation that Jesus offers you. That Jesus came and lived a life and died a death that we should have died so as to save us. Perhaps today you need to stop rejecting Jesus and start living for him. Start accepting that true witness of the word of God and walking forward with him. Maybe you need to take the finished work upon your life. What we're about to remember in just a moment as we take communion together, take it upon your life and allow it to shape the way you live your life from this moment on and stop rejecting what the Lord has. You see, John here, he writes for us today of all that's available as we accept the witness and respond and accept the witness of who Jesus is as he is the Lord who is so ready to meet us. And so today, again, we have a decision to make. If you've made the decision for salvation and praise the Lord, I pray that you would stay there and you would continue to make the decision every day to accept the witness of who Jesus is and walk that out. If today, perhaps you need to make that decision, hey, the Lord is so ready and faithful to save. And he's given you this day and an opportunity to be saved. And all you have to do is cry out to him. Believe in the finished work of Jesus, confess yourself as a sinner, repent from your sin, and know that the Lord says, the Bible says in Romans 10, that all who call upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. Jesus desires to save as we desire to accept the witness of who he is, he is faithful. And so as we hear the word today, friends, let's respond accordingly. And let's respond now, taking upon ourselves again, what is not necessarily that witness that John responds to? but taking upon ourselves an opportunity to remember the work that makes accepting the gift of salvation possible.